Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win. It's a game of business and marketing, so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are going to have a great conversation here. We're really looking forward to this. Before we get started, I just want to give you a couple pieces of advice. First of all, make sure that you have a pad of paper and two pens in front of you to capture the aha moments that will arise as you listen to what we share with you. And I say two pens because one of them might break, your cat might run off with one of them, anything could happen right while you're in the middle of writing, and you don't want to miss a thing. Second, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite syndication network such as iTunes where you can find the Business Creators Radio Show so that you can get access to the replay of this episode and access to fresh content every week in addition to a library of topics covering a breadth and depth of issues relevant to business creators today. Well, we're going to discuss here in this episode family businesses. We haven't really covered this topic very much in the five and a half years of Business Creators Radio Show. We've touched on it here and there, but this will be the first time that we actually do a deep dive into how to build, protect, and maintain your family business. Now, I personally had an experience with family business working for one once, and the day that I stopped working there, I now celebrate as my second birthday. So we have a little bit of a personal connection here, which we may get to over the course of the next hour. Let's see what happens. But for now, let's introduce today's guest. Her name is Molly Grubb and she works with Grub Wealth Management. Just to share a little bit about Molly, she's a dynasty builder, and what she does is she helps build, protect, and maintain a family business owner's dynasty. She is one of only 200 certified business exit consultants and less than 7% of advisors that utilize all the fundamentals of wealth management. Now, we all know that owning a business has value, and the average business owner has the majority of their net worth tied to their business. With only 20% of businesses actually selling in the open market, this makes it extremely difficult for the average owner to ever realize their wealth they built in their business personally. In fact, 90% of businesses fail within the first 10 years. Molly is here to help us beat those numbers and build our dynasties, especially when it comes to creating a family business. It has benefits. It has pitfalls. And we have some topics that Molly has shared with us in the green room that we're going to bring to you. I know we have some listener questions as well. So we're just going to sit back. We're going to hear what we have to say. And I think that we're going to come to some great discoveries over the course of the next hour. So, Molly, come on in. The weather's fine. All right. I'm excited to be here, Adam. Let's go build some incredible dynasties and, and make people have a wonderful 2019 this year. All right, but before we do that, before we do that, some of our listeners may have a yeah. separate browser tab open right now, and they're looking up this Molly Grub person. They're seeing what Grub Wealth Management is and this dynasty building and all that. They're looking to get to know more about you. So let's take mm -hmm. a step back and let's okay. hear from you a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. 
Yeah, well, the reason why we focus purely on family business owners and just all the different transitions and life cycles and just complications that being a part of a family business is all about is about six years ago, I was standing in my family's business and my mom that was literally tied to a walker went screaming down that hallway and yelling, you're a liar, you're a thief, to the buyer wow. of their business. They lost everything in that moment because they were working with the people they knew to help them exit their, pro their business, and they treated it like a transaction rather than a process. My brothers and my dad all had to file bankruptcy, and my they lost their farm, RV, everything that they knew as pure happiness and called home was no longer there. And you might ask me, well, Molly, how did something like that happen? I mean, you know, normally, they, you know, how can somebody just lose everything when they go to sell their business? I mean, that should be a windfall, correct? Well, what ended up happening is they, you know, they did a lot of handshake deals things that were verbal commitments, you know, they're old barn boys at the end of the day, and they just, you know, what was promised to them when it came to ink the paper was never never transpired. But they didn't leave themselves a lot of options. They lost control over their ability to be able to navigate some of the choppy waters that owning a business does. You know, this is right, right after 2008. It was like around, I think, 2012 in, this, in the year that this actually happened. And they, uh, you know, and they owned a construction manufacturing company. And, you know, in that industry, there's the, the name of the game is and how you are profitable typically is by using leverage, a lot of loans. And, um, and when two of the vendors was approached by the banks, because this never happened before in the history of banking. They, what the banks were doing is they were going in and calling notes for people that were paying on a regular basis, had a great standing history. Because they had that ability, they were going in and saying, we need all of our money today, just so the banks could clean up their, their reserves and their funding. And, of course, obviously we do that to a lot of companies or real estate developers or whoever, it's going to shut down what they're doing. And that's what it did to two separate vendors that our family business had pretty large account payables to. And so now all of a sudden, you know, they're having to go to their bank. And their bank said, we absolutely will give you the loan that you need. And then all of a sudden, the president changed of that bank. Yeah. And now, longer, now, now the bank no longer lends to that industry. And so the only other resort they had was for them to sell everything. And they just made decisions in a state of panic. And it, they were using a mindset of fear and scarcity rather than abundance, rather than bringing in a partner to that had the management, the skill set to, to do that, they just straight up sold the company, and that's not really the solution they should have chosen. And they didn't have anybody sitting down, doing all the stress tests, looking at all the missing structures 
within their company to see what are some other options, what are, you know, what are other ways they could free up capital within the business to get in the last a little bit longer so that they could be able to make a more strategic decision in how the next chapter looked. It was just pure right. panic, and they looked at the bright, shiny ball, the largest manufacturing company in their industry, and was represented by someone that did not have a reputable path. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that is a pretty harrowing story. Uh, you're, I mean, you're looking at it from a few different angles here. And yeah, that is like being between a rock and a hard place. So what I'm hoping we yeah. can accomplish here uh, in our time together is to give our business creators who want to build, protect, and maintain their family businesses a way to avoid some of those pitfalls through planning and through thinking ahead. And we may get to my story, but we'll see what happens. So what I'd like to do is, and you have a few um, interesting questions you want me to ask here. This is fantastic. I, I've been just on the edge of my seat looking forward to this one. But let's start by defining some of our terms. What are some critical steps to building your dynasty? Well, the first one is you've got to have your, your tribe, you know, not only internally, because my, my parents and their, my brothers did wonderful in doing all the things that you need to make sure your team understands your values and is really a mirror of who you are personally. You know, they had weekly meetings. They challenged themselves. They challenged their employees to continue to grow. They gave them the resources to go and get their educations and license to really help the company grow more and help themselves grow more and be able to get paid more. And then also gave them all the incentives that would be to retain those particular employees, whether it be, I know some of the new fancy things are, you know, if you adopt a pet, you get two days off to kind of help with that transition. You know, just some of those things that you don't normally get that is keeping some of the millennials around, you know, having that wonderful culture. What they, what they didn't do is have it externally. You know, their coaches, their advisors, their the business development, their consultants, they did not have the they did not test them to see if they were entrepreneurially minded and if they wanted to grow. You know, it, it's so important when you're bringing someone in to help develop your company that they've actually been in your shoes. They know what it's like because, hey, I need to put, you know, $200,000 towards this research project because it's going to have a five times multiplier on it. But because of that, I just did that, I'm not going to be able to pay myself for the next month. They, yeah. they don't know what that risk is like. And so unless they actually get it, how can you expect them to give them you the results that you need and be able to take your company to the next level? Because there's just things that you don't find out until you actually have walked through that fire. So you can't really give that advice unless you've walked through the fire yourself. True. So those are the two major components that I see in the tribe component. And then... Uh, the next step is really, you know, creating multiple verticals. Uh, so many times, you know, there's, you know, we saw this. It's really prevalent even in our industry. Uh, you know, you go to, if you boil us down to the standard basic state of financial advising, which is basically investment consulting, all advisors do that, some better than others. But, you know, it, that's, that's, you just pay them a little fee for the 
and manage those investments, and, that, and that's it. But there's so many other ways that you can add tremendous value to your client, your customers, whoever it might be. You know, for example, we uh, one thing that we did is, you know, obviously we're extremely passionate about family businesses, but every business has to have an exit plan. And without that exit, then God's going to give you that determination on when you exit, and then your business is going to be worth what the dirt that you're buried under. And I don't think anybody really wants that. And so we understanding that and that how few of these guys are getting this advice, so what they're doing is they're going to go to an ESOP attorney or an investment or a business broker to go sell their company or maybe give it to their employees just because all their buddies are doing it, but they don't really – they don't know whether or not that's the right option. So they're not getting uh-huh. a, a determination on whether their financial gap, if they're even their emotional attachment to that business, if that's going to blow up on them. And so being able to get a certification or maybe do something to get yourself to stand apart so you can charge a premium or try charge a different silo for that and also look at different strategic partners, you know, for your company that um, – for example, if you own a janitorial business, you could do a strategic partnership with a window cleaning business where they get 25% for the business you send them and vice versa, or maybe you're consulting with them to help them run their business a little more efficiently, and as a result, you get two or three introductions. None of that's really happening in the marketplace. What's happening in the marketplace is I give you two or three referrals you give me two or three referrals and the relationship's dead and you move on and you wonder why you're constantly trying to meet new people when all you really need is about three to five really solid people that your values, your future goals all align. So at the end of 10, 20 years, you guys have both built an incredible empire together and also a great relationship. Um, and just being able to you know, I can get into systems and delegating in, in a second, but, you know, to go just make sure we're staying in line with three steps. The other part is just make sure you're going in and freeing up the resources with your company, not only the time part, but also the capital part. Um, you know, we, we were working with uh, Howard's during a, a stress test from a speaking engagement we did, and they were like, Molly, we, we want to sell our company and give it to our, our next generation. And but we don't want to do it without it, you know, costing us not being able to retire. So what we did was design a plan that maximized what they got, minimized what the next generation had to pay, and put it in a vehicle that allowed it, that money that they got to last three, four generations. But yeah. it doesn't, you know, but but okay. So you did that. That's great. But how can you help me with my business now? You know, because this is going to take four or five years to do. Well, then you can look at options where. You can, um, we were looking at their insurance, what they were paying in insurance. They were paying over $150,000 a year in insurance between their health, the you know, workers' compensation, you know, you name it. And, and if they got sued, then that was not covered by any insurance company. They just had to pay it. So we put, it, uh, put together a vehicle that allowed them that no matter whatever the risk was, it would be paid, and anything out of that, they got to keep. Not any creditor, not even Uncle Sam could get that. So it's, it's being able to figure out ways that you can unlock the capital within your company 
so you can be even more profitable. So those are really the three steps is, you know, have a solid tribe, create multiple verticals, and then look for ways to free up resources within your company. Yeah, and I think that's a great blueprint. So now that we've established this, this three-part stepwise process for building the dynasty, and I, and I love the different angles and views to which we're approaching this, uh, let's take it one step further. We, we spoke a little bit about legacy because a lot of people who go into family businesses take it from the perspective of, I want to build a legacy for my family. I want to make sure that I can hand this to the next generation. They can hand this, they can hand to the next generation and so on and so forth. They're not just in it for themselves. They're in it because they're building their children's future if the kids want it. So along the way, they'd like to know they're doing a little bit better than somebody who doesn't have a family business. So what are the steps to becoming disgustingly seriously wealthy, Molly? <laughs> Oh, um, honestly, it is continuously doing stress tests on everything that you have um, on a continual basis. But, you know, so it's not only, I, we talked about the tribe a little bit. Um, but let's talk about the, the silos because I want to revisit the systems and being able to delegate because this is where a lot of people get it wrong. And if you can, if you can fix this, it's going to, fix the majority of your concerns, and then I'll get into the four pillars of building your dynasty. So the systems, you know, the, the number one thing, you have two jobs as a business owner. Make money and do things that are going to make you money. Anything else needs to have a system or you need to delegate yeah. it to someone else. And the systems and delegation piece, all your employees need to adopt that same philosophy as well. And an employee might come to you and say, well, you know, why do I want to create a system to replace myself? Like, am I losing? I don't want to replace myself out of a job. Well, if they're doing that, then then they're not adding you any value, anyways. But if the right ones are in the right seat, then now you're just letting the cream rise to the top of what really needs to be done and only can be done internally. And the rest can you can hire a contractor for or you can hire someone else to do, or you can have technology that you cannot pay someone else a low enough wage for that. And, what, and the time hacking software or time hacking download that I want to give you at the end of the meeting, at the end of the call, well, one of the things that we do in that is, you know, make sure that you have even just someone handling your emails for you. And we use a system called SaneBox. It's S-A-N-E-B-O-X. And what right. that allows them to do is it saves me personally four hours a week. So I'm not because I get three or four hundred emails a day, a day. And so uh -huh. as soon as I get an email, as soon as I get an email, I've already trained it to go into certain boxes. So I know what I need to pay attention to and what I don't. Um, so it's being able to have that mindset, and then you know, so think about okay, what is my hour? You know, what do I need to systematize? What do I need to delegate? A good practice is for you to go through and figure out what your true, true hourly rate is. Not what you charge customers. Not what you do with anything else. This is your, just you. What, what value do you truly have to that company because a minute passed, an hour passed? And whatever that number really is, you need to multiply that by two. Because chances are, you just undervalued yourself. Because that's what we do. Especially as 
as business owners. And that's the reason why having multiple silos is so important because what it's going to force you to do when you think in that context is it's going to force you to figure out what are things that are exhausting me on a continual basis that customers are asking me to do and I'm not charging for. I'm just assuming it's already part of our project. So an example of this, we had a client come to us and say, Molly, we have, you know, it was a really complex estate case. There were six beneficiaries, and it was just, it was really complicated. But, you know, we do things that attorneys don't, and we complement it. But what we, one of the great things that we do is we compress that time. And it got down to the last disbursement check. We were sitting down with the executor, and all of a sudden she brings out her checkbook and starts writing me a check. And then she put a line through it, scratched it out, wrote void, and then wrote, got another check and put a bigger number on it. And she repeated this process at least four or five times because she saw the value in what we did. And at that moment, we knew that that's something we needed to add to our plan because it was tremendous value. It saved a considerable amount of taxes and time. What our strategies that we implemented to execute on that estate properly, and there was value to that. So what are some of those right. things that you're doing in your business? But um, when you ask me, Molly, so how can someone just build an incredible business? Well, it all starts with you. Because just imagine with me for a second. You get a call into the hospital because your sister is was diagnosed with leukemia. She's calling to tell you that. And 12 hours later, you get another phone call. Now you know that your mom went into septic shock. She's nice to you. And so you're transporting from hospital room, hospital room, and trying to take phone calls and answer emails and just do enough to survive. What would your business do in that situation? Would it increase in value? Would you come to a screeching halt, would, would you even have a chance to be a part of that, that incredibly painful but amazing time with your family just because you know everything would decrease in value if you weren't there at the steering wheel holding your company together? That happened to me three months ago. And I, we had our best quarter to date. And yeah. Three weeks after I was called into the hospital, my mom gave, left us with the greatest inheritance of them all when she earned her angel wings, and that was a spiritual dynasty because she loved harder than anybody else could love. And she had faith that was stronger than a mountain, but she never really was able to take care of herself with her health because she operated from a mindset of fear and scarcity rather than that of abundance. And as a result, she wasn't really able to have the reach that she could have had because that's what wealth really is. It's your ability to communicate your mission, your passion in life to the world, to your community. And so those are really the four pillars to build your dynasty. You've got to have the right mindset, that of abundance. You've got to take care of yourself with health and 
your spirit, if you're not following your passion, your business will never grow. And then all of that results to being able to have the impact in the world with wealth. The stronger those pillars are, the stronger your dynasty will be. If one of those pillars are weak, your entire dynasty could crumble. Right. Right. That's, yeah, you're giving us a ton of information here, so I would encourage all of our listeners to go back and make sure you subscribe to our iTunes channel because you're going to want to listen to this one a couple times. So now that we've done this process of creating the steps to building the dynasty, what we need to do to help stack the deck in our favor to become, as we say, disgustingly seriously wealthy, let's look at what are some of the keys to avoiding an exit from hell from your business. And when we're talking about a family business, this, sometimes goes beyond the boardroom. Yeah, so how do you do that? Well, number one, don't follow what your buddies are doing because that's what you're, what's right for your buddies or maybe wrong for your buddies. Uh, the very first thing that I would look at is start today. Today you, you have control of, but you don't know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to wake up with tomorrow. So having a 911 plan put together in the event that your ticker decides not to tick, but let's pretend that it continues to tick until the time that you don't want it to, and you need to at least, at, at a very minimum, have an exit strategy put together three to five years prior to you wanting to officially exit. And let's define exit. Exit doesn't mean that you're 70 years old, old and gray, and you can barely climb up the steps to go in the entrance of your building. It, means, it, it could mean something where you're just taking chips off the table just so you can focus on your business. That's exactly what right. we did a year ago. We wanted to focus purely on family business owners on this issue. So we sold 70%, 70% of our practice so we could focus purely on family business owners. And what's weird is that only composed 30% of our revenue. So the whole 80-20 rule is very true. Break out your ledger and do the math. If you're feeling like a particular silo of your business is weighing you down or a particular client base is weighing you down, run the numbers on it. And then the other amazing thing about it is we replaced that 30% in revenue within six months. And that's what just what happens to you. It's just something crazy about the universe. When you get focused, the money will follow that. Right. The, but, you know, going a little deeper, the, the very first thing that you should do, and this is going to be, these two things are going to be in the, uh, the survey that you can take to solve these two issues, to get clarity and confidence around these two issues, is going to be on that, that time hacking download that we're going to provide you later. And that is um, you need to test not only your financial readiness, which a lot of people can do that rather easily for you, but what most don't get right and then blows up at the closing table is your ability to be ready emotionally because this is a baby that you created. You, 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 you saw it being conceived. You watched it start to crawl and walk and then run. And a lot of people have emotional attachments to it. So if you are someone told, if your buddies are selling their business and you choose to sell your business because that's what everybody else is doing, and you get to the closing table and you're like, ooh, I don't really think I even like the person I'm selling to. 
I, I don't know if I'm really actually ready to even let this go. What am I even going to do afterwards? I, I'm going to be so bored out of my mind. Because you, what you've done is let your business become your entire life. You never took that second to do self-care, to find out who you are. You just forgot your family. You forgot who you were or whatever it might be. And now you're at the closing table and your entire life as you define it is going to be gone. And so you don't want to get to that closing table and have it completely fall apart on you. Because if, what that does is it completely devalues your business. If you back out of the deal, then that is a tarnish on your business because no one else wants to dance with you because they're afraid that they're going to go home alone at night when they're done dancing. Now, the other is um, as you're growing this business, I want you to be as lazy as you possibly can. What I mean by that, I want the business to not be dependent upon you at all. The less it's dependent upon you, the more value your business is worth. And also your life, you get that back. And so there's also, um, so the first survey I I just, um, it's called the Berry, B-E-R-I. And then the next is the Owner Dependent Survey. And what that's going to show you is how dependent you are currently on your business. Is all the governing issues of your business dependent upon you? Is all the financial issues? Are you making all the decisions for that? Um, is the sales dependent upon you? How much of the business is dependent upon you? And the more you can look for ways to mediate yourself from that, you'll be able to finally go get paid to sip on that cocktail on the beach for two weeks, four weeks, because your revenue is still going to increase. And that's a good exercise for you to do, is you go take a two-week vacation, totally detach yourself from technology, and see what your business, how much it survives, what holes does it have. And then you come back, reevaluate the holes, and then continue to fix that until you get ready to actually sell. If you are trying to sell all of it. Yeah. So those, so those are the, you know, some of the assessments that I would go in and do and find somebody to go actually quarterback the entire process of the exit plan. You know, so don't just, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do is we go in and we're the, essentially the insurance provider. Well, now, Mr. Compliance Man, I'm not saying that someone's taking out insurance with us, but just from an analogy perspective, we're going to go in and make sure that all those dots line up and you have a strategy specific to your emotional need and financial need to that company. And right, then right. and then we will bring in the sharks, the transactional people that's going to help actually execute on that for you. But don't do it the opposite way because you're not going to get it right. Don't go to that business broker before you actually develop a plan prior to and then have a quarterback to quarterback all of those sharks. Because the one thing that I saw and I continue to see working with business owners, not only with my family business, but all the business owners that we help, is when there's blood in the water, your sharks will come out. There will be advisors that will be poaching each other. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of pie in the sky dreams that are given to you. There's going to be your employees that are going to be dragging you down and and giving you a bad reputation because they are afraid they're going to lose their job. There's blood in the water. Just know that ahead of time, and and put together a strong force 
that is going to be all aligned together and do not, unless somebody does something completely out of line, do not try to change that team until you have fully exited the business because this is a lot of times life-changing money that is going to be discarded. And you don't want to be making a life-altering decision, something uh, bringing in new advice at the last second and then implode everything that you have. Right, right. Very, yeah, very important to think about. And let's bookmark the idea, uh, some of the ideas you shared there, because we're going to get to something in a few moments. But you know, going back to legacy here, I know one of the things you wanted to cover is that we look to build wealth for generations. So let's say somebody has a family business, and they're thinking not just of their children, but they're thinking of generations down the road. So aside from everything else you've shared with us thus far, Molly, what else would a person need to do? How can they leave a lasting inheritance? to their children's children, and so on and so forth. Well, um, and some of it I already shared with you today. When we, when we go back to the Howards, for example, what they, one thing that I can share as an additional nugget that they were doing is, you know, the plan that we put together was going to take about five to six years to fully have them completely exited and paid out. Right. And... So what they did is we, we noticed that they were just, there was a lot of this loose cash floating around and they were just paying taxes on it. So they put, they, they designed, a, we designed a plan where they could put up to a million dollars a year into that plan. And if something happened to them within that time period, then there was a multiplier that was added on that if they predeceased that plan. So right. they were getting something about three or four times of what was the value of that. And so it's, putting, it's looking and just continuously doing stress tests on everything that you, that you have to make sure that, because it's those little micro decisions, you know, the, the truly ultra-affluent, the one thing they are constantly doing is stress testing everything they have. Because if they make one mistake, it could be devastating. If you're growing right. your company, you can still survive that. I mean, you made a million dollars and you lost 500. Okay, it sucks, but you can. You now know how to make a million dollars. You can go and do that. But those that are right. playing at the billion-dollar place, you know, there's not a lot of players up there. So it's it's pretty easy to to fall from the cloud um, when you're that high. So you know, what are some additional things that you can do to build your dynasty outside of constantly doing stress tests and and looking at different aspects? is, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, if, is if we go back to the silo for a second, what, how many ways can you currently produce revenue? And are any of those things that you can make that's proprietary to you? Can you get a certification? Can you get a patent? Can you um, create something that no one else can really replicate? And then can you get a license on, on doing that? There's so many different ways that you can expand upon that. And then the other is, you know, all of the little quick hacks that I'll give you that's pretty small but can mean a lot to your business. Um, if you use, as a business owner and a lot of your sales reps that you have, if you use a, a quick little tool, it's called Bomb Bomb, it's just as it sounds because it's the bomb, um, is... We're all relationship managers, 
in some capacity. And what right. no one else is doing to stand out in, uh, in the virtual space that we all work in now is, is video emails. So what, what we do is we shoot a video. Yesterday I, I, I spoke at a local conference here, and I shot them a video right afterwards. I said, hey, it was wonderful meeting you at the Good to Great conference, and I want you, you signed up to, to get our free book that we have on all the hacks that I shared with you today called Building Your Dynasty. I want you to go ahead and click on the link below, and if you want to schedule a time to do a stress test in the future, there's a calendar link right above, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you soon. Make today your best day. You just shoot that little one-minute video, 30-second video. You stand out from everybody else, and you'd be amazed on the click-through rate that we have on it because it's different. It's personal, and it's, people want to watch that video. Video content is where the social media space is being taken. That's where all the email space is being taken. That's the gravitation. So I would highly recommend driving your revenue in 2019 by implementing a strategy such as that. Um, but there, there are, to go deeper into our, our space, you know, some of the things that you can look at doing is making sure that the strategic partners that you have in place, that they understand the value you're bringing to them. And what do I mean by that? When you're sitting down and interviewing a potential strategic partner, don't make it look like you need them at all, because you don't, because there's another seat that can fill that spot. You're looking for the right partner, and you are determining whether or not they are a fit for you, not the other way around. And so all of a sudden that creates need and desire because the people knew what to what moves away from them, and they value what comes at a cost. So if you put that out there and you're constantly interviewing, you know, for us, it's estate attorneys, it's tax advisors, it's property casualty firms, those are where the affluent hang out with. We all kind of, you know, congregate together. And But most of them are not entrepreneurially minded and most of them don't want to grow. So we're constantly having to interview the right partners, somebody that actually gets our vision. So you only need to be working with those that mirror you and anybody else you just say next to, the most powerful word in marketing. And I don't know if enough business owners are acting in a way, in a place of abundance rather than neediness, in a place of confidence and clarity on who they are rather than desperation. And if you can have that mind shift change, then everything else will just fall into place naturally. I've watched this happen to myself because I don't want to say that I don't, I didn't operate from a mindset of fear and scarcity because I, I, you know, that's the way I was raised. It's all I knew. It's something I still fight today. You know, stop looking at your bank account and wondering, you know, oh, am I going to get this payroll be able to be made? I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make this check next month. Of course, look at that because you need to stay on top of your finances. But don't 
Look at it to be scared and nervous. Look at it and say, you know what, because I'm doing this investment, next month is going to be our best month. And I'm super excited to get to next month because whatever I'm nervous about now, it's not even going to be there tomorrow. Because if you just look at a bunch, you know, if you look at nature alone, if you put a corn seed in the ground, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of corn seeds that pop out. I'm from the Midwest, so that is my analogy for you. That's a little Midwestern. But it is something that even nature teaches us. Abundance is all around. Wealth is literally at our fingertips being waiting to give to us. But if we buy in to what the government says, what our parents taught us, what the school system taught us, that if I give you a dollar, that means one dollar I have, you know, the whole scarcity concept is you're not going to be able to build your dynasty in the way you've always dreamed of it looking like. Right. Yeah, that's that's certainly a lot to think about. And, you know, when you're doing a family business, that, as we've covered throughout this interview here, it becomes more than just your job. It becomes basically your life. Entrepreneurs face this as much just without the family element. So when they're building a family business, they have the business, the idea they want to hand it down rather than eventually cash out. These become issues. So one thing I wanted to make sure we touch on here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state this as factually as I can, is sometimes what we see with family businesses is you have the founder of the business that wants to bring in their family because they're family. And I was on, I guess, the receiving end of this once in a job I had maybe about 20 years ago where it was a family business, and I was hired to work there by the daughter of the founder. Now, I'm not going to get into any details of what an awful supervisor, not to mention human being she is and was, but let's just say two things. Number one, when I left that company on April 27th, 2000, I, to this day, I celebrate the date April 27th as my second birthday. That's how bad it was. And second, when I went to interview for my next job, my, I made my next move within the same industry, and I was interviewing with a lot of competitor firms, here's what would happen over and over again. You know how they say on job interviews, never dish on your previous employer, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. This happened to me several times. The person interview- interviewing me would say, all right, look, um, I-, I know that thing about how we don't expect you to dish on your previous employer, so if you don't want to say anything, that's fine. But let me tell you what a, and I think one of the kindest words used was lazy, worthless bitch, your previous boss oh, was. Dear Lord. She had gone, she had not only put her own father's company in a situation but had given it a bad reputation throughout their entire close-knit industry. So on the other, on one hand, maybe you want to help your relatives because the same, the same supervisor of mine um, had also worked for, uh, before she came to work for her father's company, she worked in a different industry uh, for a company that was basically right across the street. And it turned out that I knew somebody that worked at that company, and uh, I said, hey, you know, so-and-so says she used to work here and said, oh, yeah, we ran that bitch out. Oh, dear Lord. So oh, the point okay. being, and I am being very dramatic about this, is I just want to emphasize 
one of the dangers of a family business. You bring somebody into your business because you're loyal to them because they're family. And maybe because they're your family or they're your daughter or your sister or your wife or your husband or your father or your son or your nephew or what have you, that you either have a blind spot to how toxic they are or you think that maybe you're the one person that can help them. So uh, it's easy to say, well, you've got to separate the business from the personal, but it's not always that easy. And maybe yeah. you do feel you can help, maybe even recognize it. But let's say you have that situation where either you discover how toxic they are or you actually knew it going in, but you thought you could fix it. What is a, a mindset that can help you avoid the pitfalls of that? And maybe there is actually an opportunity for change. I don't know. But you're in this, and one of the reasons I brought you on the show is because I've been wanting to ask this question uh, for somebody who specializes in family businesses for a long time. I don't know for sure, but I can imagine that somewhere along the line, one of your uh, clients may have said to you, boy, we wish we could get rid of so-and-so. They are dragging us down. Oh, of course. I mean, you know, I, I was fired twice from my family business. So, right. you know, to, know, to not say that there's not politics involved is uh, would not be suitable. Uh, there's absolutely... Politics and family business. I mean, people, when I stated who our niche was, who our ideal client was, they're like, who would want to work with family businesses? There's so much drama in it. Well, that is what I grew up with. I mean, being the youngest of six kids, it, it was just survive or die by the family business. That's how we put bread on the table. It's all I know. The crazy is all I know. And so we've been able to kind of use that unique experience to you know, I'm working with a company right now where they're actually trying to go through a transition. And because their father left the company with all of the sons, they can't, they're, one of the youngest son is a minority shareholder. He does not contribute to the business. He does nothing for the business with the exception, holds his shares over the ones that are actually growing the business to the point that now they are able and ready to sell it. Yeah. And so we have this checkmate that is going on, and it's costing an incredible, incredible amount of revenue and time and business from this company and my clients. And so how do you navigate that? Well, you can use strategies like one of the farmers that we worked with he wanted to make sure his kids all got an equal share because that's what um, some people have favorites, understandably. Uh, but, you know, most want to have everything be equal. And so he had this son that wanted to take over the farm and he wanted to leave the farm. But the daughter, obviously, you know, was not her forte. She, so he was, how do I take care of that? And so there was... Uh, you know, the thing is, is if you actually, rather than just flying by the seat of your pants, because that's what allowed you to get to the success that you're at now, this is something that you really need to have careful and diligent planning around. And that's what we did for this farmer. Is we ended up writing up the trust documents so the son inherited 100% of the farm and the childhood home. And the daughter just got what she wanted. And that was just right. an equal payout when he passed from a life insurance policy that 
equaled so that it would be 50-50 on the estate. And now the daughter gets, although money was not important to either of them, they got the inheritance that the father would felt fair with and the siblings now could still maintain a relationship with each other because money was not an issue. So don't, I know business owners, I speak this because I also feel this way, but I also know that it's not true. We're not immortal. We're all going to die. Right, right. So don't try to bury that conversation in the sand to the point that now your kids are all fighting and are not able to have a relationship with each other because you did not want to plan for your passing and how the assets transferred over. If you make it fair and put everyone together in that line and make it transparent for them, then that will minimize the inability to not have a relationship with a sibling. Because no amount of money, honestly, is worth losing a family member at the end of the day. Right. I understand. Yeah. Just having clear clear communication and planning and diligent planning. I mean, there's not not a cookie-cutter answer, unfortunately, to that, um, with the exception of what I just stated. Yeah, I, and I and I know, and for as I said, for some business owners, maybe that's a a tough thing. Maybe they have the blind spots, or maybe they don't have the blind spots, and they but at the same time they don't want to turn against a family member. They want to try and help a family member. And my dramatic explanation of what I shared above, and I did it that way just because I wanted people who are maybe about forty five minutes into this interview to sit up and say, oh, there's still good things to come. Uh, so I did that intentionally for a little bit of shock value, but those are words that were actually said to me. I I can't deny that that's what happened. Uh, I have a vision that she had gotten herself into all, this previous supervisor of mine and gotten myself into her hole with her previous employer, and she came to her dad and said, Dad, they're all mean to me over there. Can I work for you? And he yeah. said, of course, honey. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I, I could I could imagine that being the case. Now, the stories that she told, as I remember, is that it had been the plan all along for her to come to work for her father's company, but he insisted that she go out and work for somebody else for a few years so she could see a bit of the world before she came and worked for his company. Uh, but I got these other stories, too, so I'm not 100% sure what to believe. I can only relay the various things that were shared to me from different sources and the fact that um, – Ten years later, I'm still hearing this stuff. Uh, so uh, yeah. uh, there was some, there was something there, and uh, and again, I don't want to get into the. Not that I really care that anybody's listening to this, but I don't want to get into what happened in that company, other than the fact that they're still there and she doesn't work there anymore. So who knows what happened? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the one thing you want to prevent is uh, hiring a family member because they're a charity case. Because right. if they really are, then just pay them. It's going to be a lot cheaper. There's going to be less, less headache. But it's all, you're running a business at the end of the day. And if your family member is going to drive revenue for your business and it is truly a right fit and you would hire them off the street even if they weren't a family member, then, right. then that's okay. But so many times people are just getting jobs because of what's in their last name or the blood that runs through their veins. And right. 
you would not expect, you know, AT&T or Netflix to hire somebody because of that. So why are you doing that personally? I know these are hard words. It's very emotional. Trust me, right. I've been a part of it. I walk the path. That's why uh-huh. I can say this. But hire because it's going to grow your company. If not, you're the one that's going to bear all of that pain. You're the one that's going to have to work a little extra because they're not really doing their job. You're the one that's going to have to deal with all the wrath from all the other employees because they're causing havoc. You're the one that's going to have to figure out how in the world do I unravel this relationship that I have with them from a business perspective and still keep them as a family member. Right. Here's here's what I would suggest, and this just came to my mind, is for those of us and those of our listeners and our business creators who have ever been in a joint venture partnership that went sour or had an employee or a contractor that uh, maybe started off well but then things kind of hit a downturn or were in any other business relationship, you came to the point where you eventually terminated that. And going forward, it would have taught you are things to avoid and making decisions and things to look for in making decisions so that your future partnerships and relationships could be better. So it's one thing to be able to transition in and out of these relationships, and these are just people you do business with. And then you have to add the element of, oh, well, I also have to see them at Thanksgiving dinner. They also live in my house. I mean, there's a lot of things. Or they're the parents of my grandchildren. I mean, there's a lot of things you can fold into this. And as I think I heard you say, that you have to maybe use the word attachment or maybe use the word you know, logical and factual. But part of it is maybe you just have to make a decision. Does this person really belong in your business? And what I thought I heard you say is maybe, and correct me if I'm incorrect here, but what I thought I heard you either say or imply is, Maybe the decision is you decide to give them a small equity stake without them actually having any involvement in the business where they could screw it up. Did I hear you say that? I mean, you could do that, but I would be very careful in doing that because um, of what my current client is going through. You know, they have this minority shareholder, and they're basically that minority shareholder is holding his position over the rest of the shareholders' heads, and it's just literally being obstinate. Like, he is just not wanting to move because he doesn't think, he thinks that in order for them to be able to do anything, they have to come to him, and he likes having that control and that power. Now, most don't have that type of an issue, but you have to think those through. And if things go wrong, is someone going to adopt that self-sabotaging behavior because someone looked looked at them the wrong way? But you can, you know, you can, uh, you know, provide them, you know, resources that, you know, that is not tied to your business. If you need to just pay them, you can help them. Maybe you have a few friends that own a business that they could then hire them. But there are a lot of jobs that are out there. So, you know, just make sure that the people that you're hiring is going to be an investment for you and not a charity case and not something that is going to be that hole 
cold that you can't put enough duct tape over on your, you know, cargo ship that you're putting together here, like, and it's going to sink it. It's just going to be toxic. Yeah, very true. So, again, you know, I think we've given our listeners a lot to think about over the course of the past hour here and given them some guidelines, some specific steps that they want to make, may want to consider taking. And we also covered some cautionary tales with some advice on how you can either avoid that or deal with it and mitigate it as the case may be. Because with family businesses, we know that you know, we're, you know, we have the emotional investment in our legacy and we also have the emotions of dealing with other people um, who happen to have our same last name or our same bloodline. So it gets kind of complicated. So what I'd like to do now is we are at the top of the hour here. I'd like to give you just one moment. I know that you had a little something for our guests, and why don't you go ahead and tell us about that. Of course, as I was mentioning through our discussion today, if you want to actually click on the links yourself and see everything in one place, we have a lot of great time hacking systems that you can click on as well as the Barry and Owned Independence uh, Survey. If you just go to grubwealth.com forward slash BCR, so that's G-R-U, bravo, bravo, wealth.com forward slash business creator, and then R at the end, radio, so grubwealth.com forward slash BCR to be able to download your time hacking system that has all of the different systems that you can use to run even faster, create more time, more revenue, and really do an assessment on your business. Great. So again, uh, I'm going to share that with our audience uh, just so that uh, just so they have it here. Just give me one second here. There, Molly, uh, my cat, uh, Princess Alessandra, just took my notes and threw them on the floor. Remember awesome. what I said earlier, folks, about a uh, pad of paper and two pens? So in case uh, in case they walk off, well, I tell you, this this cat, sometimes she will walk up on my desk and right in front of me, while looking me in the eye, bend her head down, take one of my pens in her mouth and strut off with it before I have a chance to stop her. She is naughty sometimes. So, okay, so I, so I got the piece of paper, grubwealth.com forward slash BCR. Make sure to check that out. So for everybody, uh, Molly Grubb of Grubb Wealth Management, thank you so much for coming here today and sharing your brilliance and passion on how to build, protect, and maintain your family business. It's been an honor and quite an education. Well, it's been exciting as well, Adam. Thank you. All right, you bet. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.